WSQF Blink Radio, Key Biscayne, 94.5. This is my problem lately, folks. I got hit hard by a side effect from the vaccine. Still has me coughing. <coughs> See what I mean? <coughs> I already cleared mustard. Uh, I've been doing just fine. But uh, radio and coughing is the pits. Here on the Concrete Conservative, I'm kind of like the quicksand conservative. I don't know what to do with myself. I, you know, I had a friend of mine who was very close to me. He passed away. He was unvaccinated. And he was my age. A very dear friend. He was, uh, we were very close. But we had a falling out um, since the election. He was a Biden supporter. So everybody who says that anti-vaxxers are exclusively Trump supporters when Trump himself is vaccinated makes for a hearty conversation of complete ridiculous slang, innuendo, and gossip. It's just not true. People are anti-vaxxers for a bunch of reasons, especially when they don't know what the hell's going into their bodies. A lot of people take a lot of pills not knowing what they're going to do with it. They don't, you know, they just don't know how their body's going to react to it. But there's something about a vaccine that makes it, that feeling feel permanent. I've been in the hospital uh, more than one occasion, quite frankly, all my life, it seems like I'm every five years I'm in the hospital for some injury of some sort. And when it comes to vaccines, I was worried about clots. I had suffered strokes last year. So for me, it wasn't really political. It was just concern for strokes. So I I tried, as long as I could, uh, you know, as long as I could delay things, I would delay things. And then my friend died. That changed everything. And uh, we never talked again since since the election. And he was blocking me on his phone. I guess he, you know, when you deal in facts in the world as we know it, liberals just basically uh, don't get it. Everything that they wanted politically on a policy level, they got since turn of century, quite frankly. Even the one that the most hurts us, the progressive income tax, we can't really say that it was a Republican idea. It was a progressive idea, and the first progressive was a Republican president named Theodore Roosevelt. But he stole the whole progressive agenda because of Williams Jennings Bryant. He was the original uh, I believe it was a Kansas congressman who ran three times for president and lost. It was his desire to have a progressive income tax. And in doing so, he failed three times as president. Clear indication that the country didn't want a progressive income tax. Well, one of the reasons why progressive income tax doesn't really work, it progressively taxes you as you make more money. That doesn't seem very capitalistic, does it? And secondly, it was, it was one of the tenets of the Communist Manifesto. And I've said this on this show before. There's a lot of stuff that Karl Marx wrote. An underachieving, unemployed jerk-off uh, who somehow became world famous with the Communist Manifesto. It made absolutely no sense. It didn't work. It was embraced wholeheartedly. Uh, 
in the design and creation of the Soviet Union, turn of the century, and many people in America were admired uh, by Karl Marx. They admired Karl Marx, period. To this very day, actually, we have a lot of people who are in Congress, who are on the left, who are still admiring Karl Marx. It's kind of hard for them to repeat it or say it or admit it, but if it walks like a duck, acts like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You've heard that one before. So today, I can't possibly tell you uh, if I'm going to be able to pull this thing off for a whole hour. So, six twelve now, and uh, <clears throat> you know, coughing sucks for radio. So if I start coughing, and I go to music, and I don't come back, you know why? I'm having a coughing fit. But it seems to have subsided. I took Pfizer. No, excuse me. I took Moderna. I did not take Pfizer. Moderna. And after about 10 or 15 days, I started feeling funny. Immediately bought a COVID kit. Took it home. It's like a pregnancy kit. And um, you take them uh, about um, five hours apart. First one was negative. Second one was negative. So... I hung in there, called friends, my doctor friends, and said, look, this is what I'm feeling, you know, cough, tight chest, and uh, the negative, come back negative, and they go, have you taken the vaccine? I go, yeah. Well, take some erythromycin, 500 milligrams, ivyvectin, took them, and, you know, call me in the morning kind of thing. So I stayed in touch with my doctor. And uh, after about seven or eight days, uh, even worse, lungs were getting full of water. You could hear this when I breathed. And since I was an asthmatic as a kid, I just figured, you know what? I'm familiar with these sounds. I can't believe they've come back after 40 years or so. Now, I, I grew up in a place called the village of Key Biscayne, which is where you... Locals obviously know I'm emanating from. For those who are living outside of this area, and believe me, I believe more people are listening to me on live stream, WSQFradio.com, worldwide than over the airwaves. I might be wrong, but since I'm a community radio station, I'm, I don't have Nielsen ratings, so I really don't know for sure. I do know when I do Facebook Live, a few times that I actually show the video I can see that it's, it gets hit in the hundreds. Not right away, but over time. I usually, my friends usually will pick me up. About 40 people will pick me up if I go live. Oftentimes, I just do the recording. So that's basically my initial ratings, Facebook Live. And nobody wants to rely on Facebook for anything. I believe that my posts don't really get heard out there anymore. Everybody made it uh, very obvious to me that Either they're not interested in my conservative talk. Some of the stuff was quite prophetic that I will get to in a moment. And, you know, you, you live and die by the sword, basically, if you're conservative. Unfortunately, the conservative movement, as patriotic as we are and as lovers of nation we are, I have a bunch of reasons to love the United States. I'm an immigrant kid from communist Cuba. My parents fled in 1960 and 61, respectively. And I was born in the, here in the States. 
So naturally, uh, building a radio station on the airwaves, through the antenna, when everybody else was just seeking to be in their garage on a podcast, for me, it was different. It was buying back my freedom of speech. I felt my parents left Cuba so that their kids, their future kids, would be born free. My mother specifically said, your brother was born in Cuba, and as soon as Fidel Castro declared that all the children of the revolution and all the children born before and after will be the product of the revolution. My mom goes, what? He looked at my dad and says, what? The hell he is going to own my kid? And they fled. They fled, uh, like many Cubans, oftentimes they'll get to flee together as married couples. Each grabs an opportunity and runs runs for the hills. In this case, you're not running from the hills. You run for the shore, the shoreline. The biggest and saddest thing about Cuba is that it really is an Alcatraz. You're like a slave on an island. Today, nobody cares what becomes of Cuba. And I've always made the statement that because of that reality, it's like denied manifest destiny. It's not like it is. I think the United States has denied its manifest destiny since 1959. I think the amount of thousands and millions of illegals here culminating as we speak uh, in the millions is what's kept the middle class wages miserably low. And uh, what used to be a good salary is now a minimum wage, $15 going to 20 And everything I see... I see in a in a much uh, different sense than the average American listener. I see it for what I believe it is: statist, socialist, communists. Americans are having a tough time to wrap around the word communism because they still see the factors of production run by profit-driven wealthy people. Well. Even the profit-driven wealthy people, who, by the way, are majority liberal, they live and feed off a huge chunk of the economy, which is government-related. That's what people don't realize about the United States. We do things not the old-fashioned way, the original way, which is we have government buy from our private sector. The private sector in the United States feeds the government what it needs. The government itself has grown and grown and grown and grown through deficit spending for as long as the mind and the eyes could see to the point where it's 38% of the $22 trillion U.S. economy. 32% is attributed to buying, selling, and owning in the ecosystem of capitalism by the U.S. government alone. If you add that number, you're around $9 trillion dollars. And that's larger than Japan's economy by a solid $2 trillion. That's why nobody wants to shrink the U.S. government, plain and simple. Nobody cares to shrink the U.S. government, plain and simple. Not an enemy and not an ally wants to shrink the U.S. government. I mean, think about it. Where in the—change the subject a little bit. Where in the world— can a huge economy just leave $60 billion in armaments in enemy territory? 
and claim and say out loud, oh, well, we made much of that equipment uh, unfunctional. We broke most of it before we left. Uh huh, sure. Really? So the broken helicopters can't be flown, but they, they cannot be sold to the enemy, other enemies? You're going to tell me the Taliban is not going to sell parts, whole model, whole helicopters to the Chinese, the Iranians, and the Russians? who would love to reproduce them? Think about that. That's classic American arrogance on behalf of your statist American progressive government bureaucrat in the military, elected, as well as government bureaucrat employees. Because, you know, politicians, they can get elected and they can become bureaucrats too, being elected over and over and over again. Don't get me wrong. I'm not for term limits. One of the few conservatives who don't pretend to be a uh, a libertarian, don't pretend to be, you know, anti, you know, politician. I'm not. I believe that if you have term limits at the federal level, all you're going to get is very knowledgeable people who know what they've done, what they're planning to do, what they're planning to fix out of office before they can do such fixing. I know personally that when I've tried to uh, get a law amended in the state of Florida, a school law, seven years have gone by and nothing has happened because of term limits. Oftentimes, it takes you to pick up velocity or speed or momentum or get this person to take you seriously after many sessions in Congress. And I can't tell you how awful it is to not be a special interest group. You know, when you don't have a special interest group, when you don't have this big backing because you chose not to have the big backing, you chose to do it alone, kind of like as a visionary, in my case, it, it was a school law. Therefore, I was seeing around the corner in 2013 what you all are seeing today, which is parents screaming and yelling over critical race theory. Critical race theory is Soviet Russian influence, communist influence. It distorts the beginning of America. It distorts the middle of America. It distorts the end of America. It just distorts everything that we're about. We were an experiment to begin with. And we should be teaching, not influencing our students. We shouldn't be indoctrinating our students. See how quickly I moved along on a, from one subject to another? Not bad for a guy who's dying to cough and hasn't yet. And as a conservative and Latin and Cuban-American, in my case, I'm American-Cuban. I've said this many times on the radio. I'm trying to make it very clear to people that... My parents are Cuban-American, but I'm an American-Cuban, meaning my country first is America. Can't deny that I'm from Cuban heritage. You can kind of tell by my accent. It's a bizarre accent because I can't really say I learned English as a second language. I pretty much learned it as a first language. I had issues with English. I stuttered. I struggled in school. I repeated first grade. So school's always been like this problem for me. 
Um, I know exactly what's wrong with school. Most people have already come to the same conclusions I did. How to, how to fix it it's, has nothing to do with reform. It has to do with reinventing the whole public school system. Because right now, the reform is just the mitigation of the present-day overcrowding. And that is school choice. Homeschooling, conventional school choice. It shifts the monies in our real estate taxes in Florida, which are half of our real estate taxes go to public school. People don't realize that. Half of the real estate taxes from real estate owners goes to public school, whether you have children in public school or not. Half of the real estate goes to public school, meaning Dade County Public Schools has a budget almost equivalent, not by much, just a little bit bigger than the Dade County budget. Think about that. School budget, public school budget in Miami-Dade Public Schools is right there with the Dade County budget of fire department, police department, government bureaucracy, Department of Transportation, the, the expressway system, the roads, the parks, parks and recreation. And Miami Day Public Schools is right there in terms of size. So that makes the superintendent just as, just as economically potent, important, powerful as the Day County mayor. So you can see where I'm coming here to try to get a law passed in, in Tallahassee as a lone wolf who was the first to try something and can show that the real answer is not screaming and yelling at the school boards like they do in Lauderdale County, Virginia, and other parts of the United States. The only way the county school board will ever listen to parents in any respect is to take their school buildings away. And I had the joy last night that I was building myself up to receive a caller from a conservative. And I came in today hoping that I could do it without coughing. But last night, something really cool happened. I'm, yes, and solemnly swear that I listen to Fox News a lot for quite some time now. And, you know, listening to the other stations are really, really cornballish. CNN, CBC, CNBC, CBS, NBC, everybody's really being dumbed down on these other stations. And at Fox News, at least they're, they're a threat to the status quo. They lay it on people. And they let everybody know that, hey, man, you guys have passed everything you wanted, and it sucks. You got Obamacare, it sucked. You got Social Security, it sucked. You got the income tax, it sucked. More poverty, more discouragement of wealth creation, and wealthy people dodging the income tax through capital gains taxes, inheritance taxes, and other corporate taxes. So, you know, the rich guy can always dodge taxes. Why wouldn't he? You and I, stuck in the middle class, as we try to get out of the middle class, we get tax, 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 as we make more money, and wealthy people have to bear the brunt of what? I think it's uh, maybe the top 20 make and spend or are charged 100% of the taxes. The numbers go all over the place. I've heard, you know, 5% pays all of it, 20% pays 70% of it. 
I'd like to know exactly how they come to these conclusions. I can only repeat what everybody else is repeating. I really can't really say there's an authority out there that, to determine how little amount of people in the United States pay all the income taxes in this country. You know, I'm one of those people who like to see the country go to a very uh, large consumption tax. A lot of people criticize the large consumption tax added to the present sales tax because wealthy, wealthy people get to buy stuff and poor people do not because the tax is too high. Well, there's a lot of stuff that poor people are buying on credit that they can't afford, sinking them into the abyss and running running their credit cards to the hilt and never paying them or you know getting bad credit, all that stuff. I have a problem with those, those things as well. I have a problem with the FICO score, and I can talk— a bunch of the stuff because I wrote about reinventing the United States in several chapters. One of them was going back to school. Something happened last night that I wanted to show you. I recorded off my telephone. And it basically was a bunch of parents ranting into the school board. And, you know, I know they're going nowhere. They're chasing their tails. And then Tucker came back on the air, so please listen to this for a moment. And he come, he finally says what I have been posting on several sites, every you know Fox News sites. I spent most of my time uh, on the uh, on uh, Steve Hilton's site, uh, the Parent Revolution. But I know I sent Tucker and Mark Levin my idea because I actually did it. I was the first person to follow the only direct ballot parent trigger law and the only state that has it is Florida so so hopefully I get to discuss this with you guys right now I'm hoping this is Alex Phillips Alex is this you yes how are you nice to meet you this is uh Mac on the Rock, Concrete Conservative on WSQF 94.5 here in Key Biscayne, Florida, Nixon's old winter White House. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. And uh, I did a little research on you, and I'm really happy that you've called me here today. I've been on my little 30-minute rant before you called here on the Concrete Conservative. I, I'm, you know, one of those uh, Latin, Hispanic, uh, American Cubans, well, you know, born to American Cuban-American parents, so I'm an American-Cuban. I make that very clear that I'm not Cuban-American. I'm American-Cuban. And, uh, you know, we're only 4% of the population in the United States, and yet we were conservative not too long ago. And we've been disappointing uh, America right around Bill Clinton's time when we started voting for the left when we were basically hardcore Republicans for the longest time. And uh, we now are projecting uh, here on the airwaves like a great American— success story we have the right to to talk freely over the air so it's it's quite a privilege to speak to someone like you and it's my understanding that uh you were one of the founders if not i don't think you were the only founder i think you've acknowledged that in other interviews of the Ampfest. uh uh it's, it's kind of like a summit conference uh of many speakers over what four-day period in here here in the doral yeah it's a it's a total uh immersion sort of of a, of a conference and a festival mixed together. So we've got all the elements of you know, the fun stuff. We've got a golf tournament starting tomorrow morning, and we've got uh, a pool party. Sorry, I'm on the, I'm on the tri-rail. 
Oh, that, that, that's that's very cool. And the pool party. I'm try yeah, we got a pool party. Uh, Simona Papadopoulos is going to be showing off her uh, her line, uh, swimsuit line, and um, we're going to have uh, uh, another party that night uh, with some of our um, speakers and folks that came um, that have gotten their we got their tickets early this year. We we'll call it we call it the uh, priority pass. Um, yeah, I like that. I like uh, that when I first heard it because it's yeah. it's really for people who can't really afford VIP tickets, and yet you're offering them VIP for those who the first hundred, uh, I believe, the first hundred people who register, something of that sort. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, I, I I'm catching up. I'm I'm hoping to um, be there on Friday to hear some of these speeches. Uh, I'm hoping to uh, uh, meet Matt Gates, uh, some others that uh, notable f- folks that you've got coming. Uh, can you share the mystery, the the mystery guests you were planning to have there, or or I know you, I know in a previous interview you were reluctant to say so. Uh, can you say so now, or is it still quiet? There's a surprise guest or several surprise guests speaking. Well, we yeah, we still can't talk about any surprise guests until they're there. Only people that show up to the event can meet the surprise guests. But we do have a lot of uh, exciting people coming. We've got your first General Flynn's going to be at our. Uh, gala uh, Saturday night. Uh, we've got uh, Jason Miller from Getter, who's going to be there. They're one of our uh, conference sponsors. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza. If you want to play golf with uh, Kevin Sorbo, you can still sign up for the golf tournament. Uh, we got the golf tournament uh, uh, tomorrow morning uh, to raise funds and awareness for Code of Vets. And uh, we've got a lot of exciting folks that are going to be uh, coming to our event. And it's all for a good cause. It's for uh, military veterans and military-related needs, correct? Yeah, Code of Vets helps folks out um, that are in, that have been in the, in the military and that have sort of been forgotten by our, our government and uh, you know, the homeless people, the, the, the depressed ones, the ones that are on suicide watch. They don't seem to get any help, but uh, Gretchen Smith from Code of Vets spends a lot of time you know, focused on these folks. We're also going to have speakers talk about homeschooling and uh health, freedom, you know, basically a lot of the things that we all sort of have taken for granted over the years, uh, we're all starting to see go away from us uh, as as of the the past year or so. Well, I'll tell you, there's a a couple things that are really uh, annoying to me because some of them I really have, uh, honest to God, solution to, and I watch America just not paying attention to me no matter how much I try. Uh, For instance... uh, you, you just mentioned it now, when it comes to school choice and teachers' unions, I find it really odd that I can have this idea as the first person in Florida history to use a direct ballot parent trigger law and create the legal precedent, and yet I can't get people to amend the law I was the first to use. Uh, that law, if I were to get it amended, maybe you guys should speak up about it at the event, it allows us to call an intra-school vote right now in the law, in the statute, 1,233 Clause 3B, I use 3B, and allows any two parents to call intra-school vote regardless of the status of the school, district-run school, and if you win these votes, these intra-school votes, you know, one, uh, one vote per family, doesn't matter if they're divorced or not, just one vote, you can literally take back the budget of a school. And the only way the school board's going to listen to America 
is for this law to spread to the other 49 states, take their damn schools away, and the, the school board will change because you'll probably get parents elected in the meantime, but take the schools away. Stop fighting with the school boards. They're wasting your time and mine. It's just they got power. You don't. You can scream and yell all you want. You saw what the Biden administration wants to do, call the dogs out on the parents. You know, the parents are the problems, not the illegals. The parents are the problems, not the Taliban. The par- Everybody's the problem, but the real problem. And for some reason, a bunch of conservatives can't understand that this is the idea. This is the way to dismantle the district-run school in every county, in every state. Take the school building away. If you win the election, the budget goes into the hands of five parents or seven parents if you want to complicate your lives. You form the board. The money comes from the state capitol. And within 10 years, you've changed the textbooks. You're back to doing reading, writing, and arithmetic. And quite frankly, the population will mature naturally. The, today's parents are kind of immature compared to my parents and yours. And you get, that's the affect, positive affect of taking back schools. But take the buildings away. I, it's, I have it on a website called theparentguardianshipschool.com. And you can see what I went through. My daughter and I were abused. I was PTA president. I lost my freedom of speech. It's the obviously the, the emotions uh, were running quite harsh here in my community. And uh, it prompted me to build this radio station to buy my freedom of speech back. But uh, it is what it is. And people don't even investigate it. People, I've spoken to a bunch of organizations. One of them that I was closely aligned with. Uh, the Convention of States Project, you know, Article 5, amending the Constitution without Congress. And uh, I was one of the early followers, uh, proponents. Uh, I attended a bunch of stuff. And hopefully, if I, if I show up on Friday, I could talk to you personally about it. But it is the answer to the public school system. You take their school away. You call the vote. 90 days, they have to call the vote. It's in the law. The only difference is that the teachers vote separate from the parents, meaning they can veto the parents because you have to win both elections and two different ballot boxes. So I find that very un-American. And it was passed by Lawton Childs. Do you remember our governor here in Florida? Yeah. Well, he passes away while he's in power, and he leaves that law uh, unpromulgated. It just doesn't have teeth in it. And then Jeb Bush made the mistake of sitting there for eight years doing nothing with the law, literally. And guess what? Uh, you know Charlie Crist, the ex-Republican uh, governor mm-hmm. who became a Democrat? Well, guess what? He promulgates it for me in 2010. Well, I misspoke. Obviously, he didn't promulgate it for me, but I gave me the opportunity to use it, and I did. And that's when I realized the horror of what, what I had just put myself and my daughter through. Because as PTA president, I, the, I created the legal president. We did have the election. They couldn't stop it. You know, it's the fourth largest school district, Miami-Dade Public Schools. It wasn't an easy task. It was a considerable amount of uh, funding on my part, you know, to, to be properly represented by an attorney. And we lost, miser- uh-huh. we lost miserably, 531 to 31. Only 31 people supported me. The teachers voted 83 nothing. But one giant symbolism occurred in the election, kind of like that silver lining. One parent who also had a child in the school, therefore he voted as a teacher. So he's a teacher with a, a, with a child in the school, so teacher-parent. And that person, I could tell, was, uh, uh, you know, had a masculine hand, handwriting. And there was, uh, I think, four teachers on staff that had children in the school, so we, didn't really, we never really knew who it was. I could kind of tell because I could see all the ballots uh, by law. I get to see everything. 
and I'm standing there while they're counting. We obviously were manually counting the ballots, not me, but someone else. But I get to see them at least as the parent proponent. And you could tell that he voted yes as a parent, no as a teacher. Meaning, hey, <laughs> if I were a parent, I would have voted yes, you know. But I'm voting with you guys because I know you guys are unanimously voting against them. And then in the process, the week of the election, they demanded I resign. And the whole PTA came after me as their president. And I'm telling them, hey, guys, we can run this school ourselves. You don't have to listen to these people. In my case, I wanted to knock down an old school that was 50-something years old. So it had nothing to do with it. it. The quality of our school, I wasn't debating the quality of our school. It was actually considered an A school. But the building was sitting in the middle of the island, and it filled up with water during just casual rains. And naturally, a lot of our schools have asbestos. So I knew what was coming if they renovated the school instead of building it anew. And sure enough, cancer broke out. Two of, the, two of the most popular teachers died. Uh, seven other teachers have been diagnosed with breast cancer. One of the parents has died. One of the, you know, really involved parents, like one of those homeroom parents. And the other the other parent is, you know, lost both their breasts already, uh, struggling with cancer. And I believe there's other cancers that have come out that I'm just not aware of. But, you know, Keep Biscayne's listening to this conversation, you and I, and Hopefully you guys will get on board, man. It's, you know, parentguardianshipschool.com. You can see we can amend this law and watch it, just watch it spread to Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, all the way across, maybe even to Bolshevik, California. Well, there's definitely a trend. And, you know, people are starting to wake up to what's going on in the public schools, you know, whether it has to do with, you know, schools not being run well or education's not doing the right thing for our children or, you know, uh, critical race theory. Parents are starting to figure out that they've got to be involved in this process. They can't just dump their kids off to bus to school and have things taken care of and expect the government to, to sort of babysit them for the day. Um, uh, the yeah, year, more, so. more than babysitting, indoctrinating. Uh, as Governor yeah. of Virginia told us recently, I don't want parents telling teachers how to teach. I mean, hello, really? So yeah, so it's a good thing. I think people are starting to wake up. So you know, you get, that's the silver lining with a lot of these things is people start to realize. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the homeschool, the homeschool uh, world has really, you know, blossomed actually for the past year. And folks are realizing that their kids are getting a better education if they do stay at home. Now, it does take a little bit more effort, but I think it's, it's a big wake-up call to the public school systems that they need to get on track. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you except for one uh, difference I have. The, the parents have to be somewhat married, functional cooperating when you homeschool a child because you mm-hmm. you have to have control over the the answer sheet you got to be able to hide it pretty well because if you're off the work the kid can cheat uh and you can cheat <laughs> um mm-hmm. I, I do notice that my young daughter who's now 20 years old in college she was a fifth grader when i did this i did notice that the homeschool kids are much more articulate and much more uh emotionally uh, driven in terms of uh speaking to each other they tell each other much, they're much more direct. They're not le- they're less paparazzi, less being cool, less fashion conscious, less you know, social engineering kind of mentality where everybody kind of gets grouped and call each other names and they, you know, and you know how in public school they're the they're the groupies, you know, the cool people, the athletic people, the 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 grunge, you know, the rockers, whatever. In homeschooling, they don't they only come together to submit their assignments, so they tend to bond those days that they actually see each other. But they basically go home and do their work. But COVID did teach us that it's not for everybody. 
you got to have functional parents to homeschool. I, my closest friend homeschooled three of his four children, but one child had to go back to school, just wasn't self-motivated enough to pull it off. That's the only point I wanted to make on that. Uh, I guess I'm going to uh, change the subject now. Um, as far as military is concerned, there's another idea that I can't say I experienced because um, I, I'm not military grade. I'm kind of like probably a wussy in a, a, a wussy in a, in a foxhole. But uh, there is an opportunity for military to understand, like you came to that conclusion about the government uh, abandoning people. There is a, there is, they're abandoning their military, man. There is an opportunity, and it's kind of, uh, I think it's an excellent idea. Also, I uh, developed many years ago, in the in a 1934 treaty between the Republic of Cuba and the United States of America. You know that the Guantanamo was our first foreign base, and because of um, Cuban uh, origins, I studied this treaty, and in the treaty it says. There's an Article uh, 3 in the lease and Article 4 in the treaty. It says that if, the, if Cuba, the Republic of Cuba, cannot control its waterborne diseases, we have the right to eminent domain the base. And I said, wow, what an opportunity for us to create the most state-of-the-art rest and recreation facility in a 43-square-mile base, which is the size of equivalent to Miami-Dade County. That's how big the, the Guantanamo base is. And run a state-of-the-art a rest and recreation and rehabilitation place, kind of like in paradise, you know, kind of away from it all. In other words, getting out. I, I know that there's an issue of, you know, whether the veteran would be interested in going out to a foreign land where, uh, you know, build a, ci- uh, build a city on, on the hill, you know, build a shining city on the hill. Uh, one disabled veteran who's in better shape than another building a house for each other. You know what I mean? In other words, one helping the other. Kind of like tunnels, tunnels to towers where they pay off your mortgages or build you a home. Um, I, about five or six years before 9-11, I had this idea already going on in my head, and I'd written it down. And I, what would you think about something like that, turning these bases, not just the Guantanamo base, it could be other American bases, because there are laws already passed by Congress you know, obligating us as, uh, well, obligating the Department of Defense to develop bases so that they're more profitable instead of just a drain on the uh, on the budgets. What would you think about developing, turning bases into rehabilitation facilities for the veterans that you're supporting? Oh, I think it's a great idea. You know, these bases are, um, you know, they're very well built. Uh, there's a couple of them, you know, in my area that, in Virginia that I've been to that are very underutilized. Um, and I've started to see some businesses actually, you know, veteran-owned businesses move into those bases and start doing some, uh, you know, some technological developments for the military. But it gives it gives a lot of these guys, you know, that hope maybe can't find a job in the um, in the civilian market uh, an opportunity to work in a civilian business, but for the military. Absolutely. Uh- uh, are you also a master of ceremonies during the week, or what role do you play uh, as the days go by at AmFest? Well, I'm going to be on the social media panel because uh, I talk about social media uh, censorship uh, from a different perspective. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm censored, obviously, from time to time. But I talk hey, about hey, join the party. <laughs> join the censorship I party. The, uh. I talk about the system design of of censorship and why it exists. So I'll be doing that, and I'll, I'll be, in, be in and out on stage talking about things from time to time as well. 
Well, hopefully I, I get a chance to meet you personally. It's uh, uh, quite an honor to have you here today. And uh, I really would like uh, for us to, as conservative movement, to really come up with ideas to, to beat to beat the left because the left's got all these, they got all the ideas and they're all, they all suck. And their ideas are just really bad. I mean, to enter an argument with these people is like, it's like talking to a drunk person. You know, you're, you're like trying to get the keys out of their hands before they get in the car, you know, and they're drunk as skunk. And that's what conversations are like with the left. But man, we really don't come up with ideas to, to win. You know, we, you know, when you don't come up with an idea, a bad idea becomes law. And we've seen that throughout our history of the United States. Right. So people have to people have to get involved. And, you know, we have to see, you know, you can't just, you know, a lot of folks that are conservative or business owners. And, of course, the, you know, the ones on the left are the ones that seem to work in in, in theoretical processes like education. Yeah. Um, you know, those who can't do teach. But um, I think that everybody needs to get involved. And, uh you know, if folks want to see, um, you know, come to the event uh, this week. It's, we still have some general admission tickets available uh, it's, uh, at AmericanPriority.com. You, know, you can register online. We're going to be cutting off all of our gala-type tickets that are tied with uh, the, the Saturday Night Gala tonight. So if you're still interested in coming, you know, to uh, the event and you want to be at the gala, which will be a great party, and some of the other VIP events, you, know, you go to AmericanPriority.com. But we are going to be cutting all that off tonight uh, because uh, we have to give the hotel – numbers tomorrow yeah absolutely so the uh, the hotel has already been booked up obviously from people from the out you know from uh out of the state so uh if you want to go ahead and uh, repeat your your data and stuff and uh i wish you the best and i i, I will see you on friday yeah it's americanpriority.com and uh it's at the, you know the trump national doral uh in miami it's going to be a beautiful venue we're going to have a great week and you're going to have the time of your life well, thank you very much for your time, and uh, you're always welcome here on the Concrete Conservative. All right, man. Take it easy. Have a good evening. You bet. Take care. Bye. So there you have it. You know, uh, F-Fest, if you're conservative, you want to go out to Doral, got three days to enjoy yourself with gala, fun, pool parties, golf tournament. Uh, the Kevin Sorbo is a great Twitter. Uh, he's a prolific Twitter. He really drives Twitter crazy. I'm sure they've taken him down before. And it's uh, this is what we do here on the Concrete Conservative. We hopefully get opportunities to be able to show you the way. And the thing is, like you said, man, you got to get involved. You got to stand up. You can't stand by. I've been able to live this kind of life all my life. Uh, you know, I had a mother and a father who fled communism, and they were involved here politically from the get-go. My father is by '66. He was already in the press and. And he arrived in 1960. By the 70s, he was already supporting Republican candidates. By the 80s, he was serving in the Reagan administration as a commissioner for the employment policy of, you know, uh, the commission that Ronald Reagan put together to get us from the high unemployment of Jimmy Carter. So I watched all that, and my mother was involved with the Cuban American Foundation. She was very integral part of the team of uh, board members. And and basically, uh, you know, uh, money raisers to put uh, Radio Marti on the air, the free voice to the Cuban people. So I've been able to live it. I've been able to, you know, apply my principles and put them into my circumstances. I've been able to be active in my community as best I can. I've been able to do it my way. And uh, the school experience, you could tell that 
you know, Alex has no idea that there's a direct ballot parent trigger law called the Florida Parent Empowerment Law, 1002-33, Clause 3B. The nation has no idea that Florida has a law that resolves the issues that parents have with the school boards, desire to indoctrinate our children into being statist, government-mandated children who hate profit, find profit to be greedy. Think about a capitalist society where its school system is teaching poverty. Can you understand that, folks? Can you understand a school system that teaches poverty in a free market capitalist society, the only one of its kind in the world? $22 trillion worth of business. The whole freaking world's ecosystem is the United States of America. The other statists, market capitalists, happen to be our number one trading partner who tax who bludgeon, who enslave their people. It's called People's Republic of China. They're right there at $17 trillion. And guess what? Their $17 trillion is all the government. You can grow your business like Alibaba did, but as soon as you get too rich and too powerful, all of a sudden they, they shut you up or shut you down. They have taxes too. I can't remember the name of the taxes they have, but they have something not quite as uh, progressive as the progressive income tax, but they like tax you right from the get-go from your salary. It's like our Social Security taxes, but theirs include your your income tax, meaning what you get is your pittance. You get to own buildings but not land. The land is the people's. So you might be able to get funding to build buildings and stuff like a developer would, but they never really own the land, so... They just make a decision and knock down your buildings. You know, there's whole cities with with no people being built. They're just sitting there, and nobody moves into these towns. And their cities are brand new. You know, street lights, street corner sidewalks, massive amounts of buildings, and the population growth just never arrives there. I've seen these photos to the point where they're just sitting there, dilapidated, brand new, and eventually, ten years of emptiness, and they get knocked down. You you've probably seen this yourself on the internet. Cities being knocked down, and there's always some kind of, I don't know, you know, made up reason for knocking them down, fire hazards or mold or something. But the fact is, how did they even come to be? Whole cities, you know, blocks of buildings, of empty, brand new buildings. That's corruption, man. Tied with the government. It's what happens when the government runs all the factors of production, as in China, one way or another. And remember, you know, they they're much larger than us. So state capitalism could one day be the norm. That's their desire. And with a weak president that uh, many of you voted for, Hong Kong, many of you Biden pinheads, Biden, Obama, Biden, Ben Biden, have you put, have you ever guys ever written down in words and you put Obama, Ben Biden, and underneath you put Osama bin Laden. They almost look alike. Just fun to do. But we're, you know, we got to seriously consider what we're doing. And we got to seriously consider as conservatives to be concrete. Think about it. Don't budge. 
Don't rationalize with these people. It's like talking to drunk people. And it's like talking to that particular drunk with the keys in his hand and he's getting ready to go in his car. And you're speaking to them. Say, hey, man, uh, let me drive you. Oh, I can do it. I'm not smashed. I can get home. I'm just around the corner. Well, you know, how about I go with you? And you just, like, walk out to the parking lot with him trying to get the keys. And then eventually you're tackling the person on the ground and you're ripping the keys from his hands. Well, you can see that they're tackling us to the ground. And then they're running us over. And then they're burning our house and they're burning the businesses. That's what we saw this year and last year, mostly last year. You saw those burning of cities. Think about it. How bad is an idea that it collectively turns into big bad ideas, taking down statues, historical significant statues that can teach generations way into the future about who that person is. Why is he in bronze? Why is, was he big, famous, and wonderful back in the day, even though he was part of a losing army? Yeah, you can be offended. I can be offended. We all can be offended by something. doesn't mean we have the right to collectively convince other people that they should take down statues. I remember communists taking down statues. I remember Saddam Hussein's statue coming down in Baghdad. Karl Marx's, uh, I'm sorry, Lenin's statue. I also know that Lenin is sitting in the middle of Seattle somewhere. Big old statue of Lenin right here in Washington State. They were fond of communism. They were fond of everything that has to do with food lines and telling people what to do. The American left, I remember Rush Limbaugh saying this once, quenches the power that Fidel Castro had, that Putin had. They kind of love the power, single power, the single hand hanging over your head. Not that enlightened hand of Alfred Smith, but the single almighty hand of the state. When you're anti-corporation, oh, because they're ripping me off, they're, hey man, I'm just as upset with banks as you would be. And I think they're suffering great pain. They haven't made much interest on their money in quite some time. Their banks are in peril today. And a lot of people are funding, absorbing their businesses, no longer a place to go to get a loan. Venture capitalists have managed to loan you the money directly. So yeah, I get it when, when banks or corporations frustrate you, but you can always put them out of business. You can't put the state out of business. They've got tanks. So, it's time to go. I didn't cough. It's almost 7 o'clock. I would like to thank Alex Phillips from Amfest for calling in. We've got a surprise tomorrow, same time, right around 6.30. I'll rev it up at 6, try not to cough by 6.30, and tune into the Concrete Conservative. Remember, this recording will be up on WSQFradio.com, worldwide on the website. This is Mac on the Rock, the Concrete Conservative on WSQF Blink Radio.